Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Amen, amen, amen. Well, church, you can grab your seats and grab a Bible. We're going to be in Malachi chapter 3 as we continue our series titled Turned. And what we've been seeing is that there, God's people, the Israelites specifically, have turned from following God's ways out of a lack of trust in the Lord, lack of love for the Lord. And that's what we're seeing here. And today, as we're going to be in Malachi chapter 3, specifically starting in verse 13, if you take a note, you can title this sermon, Useless Service. Useless Service. And with that in mind, what a great weekend and week to remember the service that was not useless. I mean, we have so many veterans in this church, and we're so thankful to be able to have a day set aside because you're worthy of so much more to celebrate the service and the sacrifice for our veterans and spouses. So on behalf of the Way Church, thank you. Thank you for your service. Malachi 3, verse 13. Again, just to set what we're, in case you missed some of this series. We've been saying it's like an awkward conversation that you're on the outside looking in between a father and his disobedient children. Okay? So that's what we're looking at here. Ways that God's people have started leaning on their own ways and turning from the Lord. Which brings us to verse 13. It says this. Your words against me are harsh, says the Lord. Yet you ask, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping his requirements and walking mournfully before the Lord of armies? So now consider the arrogant to be fortunate. So we consider the arrogant to be fortunate. Not only do those who commit wickedness prosper, they even test God and escape. I'm going to pause there because it sounds a whole lot like what we talked about a couple weeks ago. But if you go back to last week, remember what Jesus said. You cannot serve both God and money. Because that seems to be what wages war against our worship the most is our money or our treasure, what we treasure, right? But what the Bible says just in a broad view says you cannot serve both God and Anything else, anything, you name it, family, money, you cannot serve both God and those things or even yourself. Those things that wage for war for your worship and devotion and service are then idols. It goes back to, and we keep going back to, the greatest command of all of Scripture. Do you remember what it is? What's the greatest command Jesus says? If you've been around this church for any period of time, surely you would know the greatest command is what? Thank you so much for not disappointing. That was, you nailed it. What you don't know, we've been practicing this all morning. Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And he says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I, like I said before, I love me some me. I mean, I could love myself pretty well. A little bit more tricky to love my neighbors in that way. And what we see here is everything that we do or don't do is tied to our love for or lack of love for God. 
everything. I was having a, in our discipleship group several weeks ago, we were having this conversation of just sin. And as a follower of Jesus, what can we do? What can we do? And all these different things. And we got to the point that, you know, this conversation is worthless unless it starts with your love for the Lord. Because everything flows from your love for the Lord. We can go into what sin is and what sin isn't, all these different things, but it has to start, do you love the Lord? Because the rest of it, if it doesn't start there, is a useless conversation. And it goes back to even here when it comes to how we use our treasure and our time and our talents. Anybody's gone through our membership class here at the Way Church, we know that we're called to be generous with our time, our treasure, and our talents by God's design. And we'll get more to that here in a minute. But here in Malachi, God's talking to people that essentially don't love him is what's happening. You've heard it said, actions speak louder than words. Because we know this to be true. I know this in my marriage. If I was to tell my wife I love her, and yet never spend time with her, or I told my wife I love her, but treat her awfully, or I told my wife I love her and never served her or did anything for her, there would come to the point that my wife would say, you don't love me. Actions speak louder than words. Your heart influences your habits. And that's this theme verse that we keep going back to in Malachi 3, verse 7. God says, since the days of your ancestors, you have turned from my statutes and you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. Let me ask you just, just to think about this. Do you know what the danger is in turning from the Lord? It's the natural progression of turning to yourself. When you turn from the Lord, there's only one person you turn to, and it's inward. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't take much for me to drift inwardly. Beginning with yourself will always cause serious issues in your relationship with the Lord. And if we think about it, isn't that true of any relationship that you value at all? Like if you start at yourself, your relationship is not going to be healthy. I think we know this. We should know this. It's interesting when, with our selfishness and perspective, I have the privilege to go around, and as I go around through just the city, do different things, I try and be intentional with my conversations because I'm always trying to look where the Lord's leading and meeting him there for the sake of the gospel. And so I've run into a lot of people that say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, praise God, that's amazing. Do you mind if I ask you a question? This is how this conversation goes. And they say, sure. I said, so we all know that at some point, one day, we will all stand before the Lord. Let me ask you a hypothetical. On that day... If God were to say, why shall I allow you into my heaven, what would you say? And you can start thinking through this yourself. And I've had a, a wide range of answers to this question. One man told me, well, I'm a part of the Rotary Club. True story. I said, that's amazing. But, right? The Bible says, Isaiah 64, all of our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. Another translation is all of our good deeds are like filthy rags before the Lord. If you're trying to work your way into a right relationship, it's worthless. It's useless. It's by faith alone. This is what brings power to Jesus' statement in John 3.16. For God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. 
The rest of the New Testament says saved. That will not perish means that you've been saved from God's wrath because Jesus took it for you. Jesus paid the price for our sins so that if you believe that he did that, it applies to you. Forgiveness applies to you. That right relationship that you're meant to have in the first place is restored on your behalf. This influences how we see Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. So you see the trouble when we start with ourselves. We just know relationally between one another, if we start with our selfish motives, it's not going to be a good relationship. But before the Lord, if we start with ourselves, we're in serious trouble. And this is where the Israelites here find themselves as really starting with themselves. And this is what I think we do as just a people is, God, what are you going to do for me? If I do this, what are you going to do for us? And this is the point that we see with the Israelites, that they saw their service to the Lord as useless for themselves. This is a reminder for us that the aim of our, of our actions have to be God-glorifying. See, the aim of their actions were all wrong. They were self-seeking, not God-glorifying. In other words, what they're saying is, look at all we've done for you. What are you going to do for us? When are you going to do something for us? I mean, there's so many examples that they could have gave. I mean, we pray, we study your word, God, we pay the tithes that we talked about last week. We observe the Sabbath. We haven't murdered anyone. Obviously, we help people. And look, at we even demonstrate that we've repented by walking mournfully, right? In other words, they're saying, look, you actually favor those who are against you and not those who serve you. And what we saw a few weeks ago is there's a temptation that we need to be cautious with. A temptation to measure God's goodness by what happens around us or to us. The Israelites here, in other words, were saying, you owe us, God, by what we've done for you. As a result, it led them in this position as seeing their service as useless. Kind of a contractual relationship, right? Contractual relationships, I mean, they work great professionally, maybe, but are terrible relationally. If I do this for you, you do this to me mentality. And there's a caution here that we have to know about. I mean, really, again, does this, is this a healthy way to approach any relationship? If I do this to you for you, you owe me this. You name what this is. Does that work at any relationship? There's a caution that self-generated expectations just lead to aggravations. Again, start with yourself will lead to trouble. Husbands, let's just talk for a second. All right, just wives, just sit there, just hang out for a second. Husbands, listen to me. Back massages can just end in back massages. You know what I'm saying? We good? We going to be okay? I don't need to say any more, right? Self-generated expectations will just lead to aggravations, okay? It's not, if I do for you, you do this for me. I, we know this to be true, and yet we approach God in these ways at times. I've been thinking about motivations for serving this week, just because that's what we're talking about, right? The service to the Lord. And I think about our veterans, and common theme for veterans is this, this duty to serve because of the freedoms we enjoy. 
the sense of duty to defend. And it would just broaden it way out. There's a lot of good people that do a lot of good things, generally speaking. And really one of the main motivations there is because it makes me feel good. And it does. Praise God. It's more blessed to give than to receive. We know that. It makes us feel good to, to serve. Let's think about my kids. These last few weeks had some, many of you know, had some illnesses that maybe just like laid up in bed, which is extremely rare. But I had my kids, man, they were just trying to serve me at every point because they knew I couldn't do anything. I was just gone. But they were, they were serving me with no expectation of anything in return because I couldn't. So what was their motivation at that point? Well, it was love, right? It was because they loved their dad. There's times, as many as you know, we, live, we have a big family. And there's many things to get done on a daily basis. And our kids are pretty quick to jump in to help serve when they see a need. Being a functioning member of the family. Why? It's love, love for one another. There's times when their bedroom is a disaster, and I tell them to clean it. And they do. Why? Because I'm their dad, it's my house, so the motivation is, it's my authority, right? Like, you're going to clean your room. But all of that is very similar to the reasons why we serve the Lord. One, let's just be honest, he has all authority on heaven and earth. He is God, and we are not. But... This amazing God first loved us so then we can now love him, and he's worthy of our love. And so that fuels our motivation on why we serve him. It's not to get anything in return. He's given everything for us already. The only right motivation for serving begins and ends with our aim and our actions to be God-glorifying. So let me ask you this. Those who serve in a variety of capacities regarding serving... If no one was to notice the thing you're doing or to ever thank you for it, would you, could you still serve joyfully? Could be tricky, right? I mean, it's a self-examination of why we serve. God's way for those who follow him is to put others first. Put others before yourselves. Again, it goes back to the greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when you hear this command, who's the focus? Is it you? Is it me? It's the Lord, right? Love the Lord. But then we got the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's the focus? Your neighbor. And that neighbor, Jesus clarifies, is everyone. It's not just the person that lives next door. It is, but it doesn't stop there. But we're still in this equation. Philippians 2, verse 3 through 7, really clarifies what God calls us and how he calls us to live. And this is just so beneficial. I use it in marriage counseling, premarital counseling, family. It says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. I'm going to stop there for a second because nothing, that's a lot of stuff. Let that sink in for a second. Do nothing. I didn't say it. God did. Nothing. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should not look to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. And he says this. Why? He says, I'm glad you asked. It's not in there. He says this. 
adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, instead emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. This is the perspective that God's people are to live through with its Jesus-focused, others-aimed. And so why are we to serve? I mean, that's what we're getting to. Why are we to serve? We need to see the heart behind our serving begins and ends. We're talking about God glorifying, but with Jesus. In Luke 9, Jesus says this, and it's some foundational for anyone that follows him. He says, if anyone wants to follow after me, okay, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and then follow me. This is key because being a follower of Jesus, it takes you actually following Jesus. Regardless of what it looks like, you trust him. This is a trust issue. This is what faith is. When you put your faith in the Lord, that means everything I have, family, finances, all of it is yours. I trust you. I surrender my plans and my futures, whatever the future looks like, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, I trust you. I may not understood, but I trust you. This is denying yourself, taking up your cross daily. This is a daily reminder. I love the word daily in Luke 9 because I think we need the daily reminder that we're called to surrender daily. I don't know about you, but I need the reminder to surrender daily because it's hard, but he's worth it. So why do we serve? It starts with Jesus, which leads to the question, why are so many Christians choosing not to serve? If you've been around church life at any or any point, I mean, previous way church members, praise God, it's, it's different here. But previous church life, and maybe you experienced this, there's a common phrase that says 20% of the people do 80% of the work within the church. You experience that? 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That should not be. Where's the disconnect? Well, I'm glad you asked. I think there's three. Three possible disconnects on why this happens. It's going to start with positionally, proximity, and priority. Positionally meaning not really following Jesus. In Romans 9, Paul's laying out in all of Romans how we're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, not by works or not by your family. He says this in Romans 9. He says, not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, meaning... Not all who call themselves God's chosen people or actually have a relationship with the Lord because they're not living by faith. They're living by because that's my family. Your family doesn't save you. Christ does through your faith. Galatians 3.26 reminds us and clarifies that for through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. And so why do many people don't serve? Maybe because they're calling themselves Christians and they're not. So positionally, maybe it's proximity. At some points in our walk, we have a tendency to stray from the Lord. That's what we're seeing here in Malachi. He says, return to me. That means they've turned from him. Or maybe it's priority. And this is dangerous because we get so busy. And I wonder if we're honest enough to say we get so busy sometimes that we forget about God. 
Samuel is talking to Israel in 1 Samuel 12. He reminds them this. He says, above all, that's a lot of stuff. Above all, fear the Lord and worship him faithfully with all of your heart. Consider, or it could be remember, consider the great things he has done for you. So maybe the disconnect of our serving capacities and inabilities, potentially, it comes from positionally, proximity, or priority. But I wonder why are we choosing, by and large, not to serve? Which leads us back to Malachi 3, these Israelites. In these verses that we're covering, we'll see two groups of people. And let me ask you, as we see these two groups of people, think to yourself, which one am I in? Which one best do I identify with? Because the first group we just saw, a group that saw their service to the Lord as useless for themselves. Group two we're going to see right now, this is a group who saw their service to the Lord as useful to the Lord. Completely different. Look at verse 16. It says this. At that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and had high regard for his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of armies. My possession on the day I am preparing, I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who serves him. So you will see again, see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. And here sets up these two groups of people. This group is a group that did fear and follow the Lord. In other words, God's saying here, your service is not useless. I just want to point out four truths that we see in this short passage. Those who serve the Lord, fueled by faith. Number one, it says God noticed and listened to those who serve him. God noticed and listened. Number two, God will remember those who serve him. Number three, those who serve the Lord are his. This is so good because there's a finality and a foreverness here. Are his, period. And fourth, God will have compassion on those who serve him and will not those who won't. And we're going to talk about this more next week on the day the Lord is preparing. Now the point here is that your service for the Lord will never be useless to the Lord when fueled by faith. But there is service that is useless to the Lord. Let me give you a few examples because I think we can stray into this if we're not careful. Number one, service with a contractual mentality is useless. What we talked about before, right? If I do this, God, you better do that. That's not the way the Lord works. Again, it may work great professionally, but it works like garbage relationally. We know this with one another. It's no different with the Lord. Number two, service with wrong motives is useless to the Lord. And Jesus really points out a lot about the religious leaders of the day and their heart posture. And again, he does it in Matthew 23. He says about the religious leaders, they say, they do everything, it's a lot of stuff, 
to be seen by others. They enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels, meaning it's religious things. They look very religious. They love the place of honor at banquets, the front seats of the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called rabbi by the people. They love these things. So they serve with the motives to be these high religious people because they love the attention that they get. Their service is useless with those motivations. Whereas Colossians 3, 23 and 24 tells us this. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. Knowing that you will receive the reward as of inheritance from the Lord. He says this. You serve Christ, the Lord Christ. So what's the motivations for our service? It's the Lord. And everything flows from that. goes back to the greatest and second greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord, love others. Third, service putting yourself first is useless. Jesus' disciples, it's really so encouraging seeing the disciples that followed Jesus because they really got wrapped around the axles on some crazy things like we do sometimes, right? Get arguments and they were getting this argument by two of them came up to Jesus and they wanted the place of authority in Jesus' coming kingdom. And then all the other disciples got mad because they asked and this argument started up. It's where Jesus shakes his head. This is wow, picture this going down. He says, Listen, we're not like the culture. And Mark 10, he says this on the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For the Son of Man, so he points back to himself. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he washed all of his disciples' feet. Right? He says this in John 13, For I have given you an example. That means an example to follow that you also should do just as I have done for you. So this is what we're going to do. I want you to start untying your shoes. We're going to bring out the water buckets, and we're going to start having a foot washing ceremony. Who'd be down for that? Nobody, right? I know. The point is, Jesus gave an example for us to follow, taking this job meant for a servant of the house, saying, this is how we are to live as well. Just as I served, you're supposed to serve just like me. Lastly, what I think we see here is that loveless service is useless. Loveless service is useless. If you're looking for a memory verse, I know everybody is signed up for memory verses these days. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 is a great one. Do everything in love. Again, I love the absolutes of Scripture. Everything, nothing, everyone, there's no gray area. Do everything in love. So last week we were asked the question, what are you going to do with your treasure? This week we're asking the question, what are you going to do with your time and your talents? And what we need to see here is God has created and called you to serve. I think we missed this. 
God has created you and called you to serve. Ephesians 2 verse 10 tells us, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared ahead of time for us to do. He's created us to serve. But he's also called and gifted us to serve. See, when you come to Christ, you are given the Holy Spirit who dwells inside you. And God gives you spiritual giftedness to use in serving. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 tells us a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. That means to use for others. Spiritual giftedness are you given us to use for the sake of others. 1 Peter 4.10 tells us, just as each one has received this gift, this spiritual gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. So you've been given this gift to use for the sake of others as good stewards, meaning if you've given this gift, which you have if you're a Christian, and not using it, you are not being a good steward. That hits me hard. I don't know about you. Because I want to live in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. I want to be good stewards of everything he's given me, my time, my talents, and my treasures. It all belongs to the Lord. I want to use it well. And I pray that's our heart as well. So that's verse 1 Peter 4.10. And verse 11, that same passage, talks about using our gifts for others. It then says, so that God may be glorified through Christ Jesus in everything. So it goes back to the aim of our actions. It all begins and ends with Jesus. Why do we serve Jesus? Why do we worship Jesus? Why do we give Jesus? Why do we consider using our time, talents, and treasures for the good of others? Jesus. And so God may be glorified. As we see here, serving the Lord is about putting others before ourselves. That's God's way, and that's Jesus' example and expectation that he set for us to follow. But what if, on the other side of this, what if God actually uses our serving to do something in us, creating something, a desired effect that he wants to produce in us? Romans 8, 29 says this. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There's a reason why you weren't ball rocketed in heaven when you said, I confess Jesus Lord, woo, in heaven, right? There's a reason why that didn't happen. Because God isn't finished with you yet, and so has a purpose and plan for your life. One Purpose is that he's still conforming you into the image of Christ Jesus. And how does he do that? A variety of ways, one of which is serving others, following Jesus' example. But Galatians 6 gives us some encouragement when it comes to serving. Because there can be a point where serving becomes tiring. I mean, we're busy. We got full schedules. We got work. We got recreation activities. We got kids. We got all these schedules to keep people to care for, and it can get tiring. And Galatians 6, 9 tells us, let's not get tired of doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, 
As we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially those who belong to the household of faith. We've talked about this before. In the Bible, I know it's crazy to go back to the Bible. In the Bible, Christians are not known as something apart from the local church. It was assumed that if you're following Christ, you're a part of the local church that God has established and building. Which is a reminder here that the church is not a spectator sport. Let that sink in for a second. The church isn't a spectator sport. Think about all the things that we enjoy here on Sunday mornings. Most of you all know, I think, that we set up and tear down each and every Sunday. Do you know that just doesn't do it by itself? Isn't that amazing? Like, wouldn't it be awesome if we just came and just everything popped up? We have people that faithfully serve every Sunday to make these things that we enjoy happen. Hospitality, way kids, AV team that if they do a good job, you don't even know they exist, right? You only know us when something goes wrong. There's a thankless job. Worship band. I mean, all these things that we know are important and we enjoy, they don't just happen. It becomes, comes from people that serve. And God's created us and called us to serve both inside and outside of the local church. And so when you go through the membership class here, there's an expectation for members of this church to be serving somewhere. Why? Because that's God's expectation for us. It comes from the Bible. He calls us to serve. The church needs you as you need the church. We need one another. And guests, let me just talk to you for a second because you're not off the hook either, right? Man, we, we ask for you, give us a month, right? Give us a month of being a guest. Get, figure out Because it's important, where God's leading you to a local church, you need to be at a local church, but you need to be where God's leading you. So if you've been sensing a feeling that maybe this could be our church home, praise God, give us a month, pray through it, you know, we're going to have some off days here and there. Things go wrong. It just happens. But listen, after a month, it's time to get involved. I'm just going to let you know. Like, what are we waiting for? A be- one of the best ways to get to know the life and people of the church is by serving in the church. And again, when I give this message, I feel very self- self-seeking. This is God's command. That's why I keep going back to the Bible. God's doing something in you and through you when you serve for his glory alone. We have donuts for God's glory in the back. Praise God. Just saying. Does miraculous things. So what do we do with this? You're probably asking, okay, I hear you. Where can I serve? I'm so glad you asked. I didn't expect that question, but just in case, I put pieces of paper. No, we put pieces of paper on your chairs. And this is what we're going to do because this is going to be your response. On those pieces of paper are areas just within this church to start with on where we need you to serve at. And I've already checked Way Kids to save you time because we need you there. I'm just kidding. We do need you there. But these are areas where we need you to get involved in serving. We need you. And you need to. So I'm going to ask you to pray. And then I'm going to ask you to check a box that may be interesting to you. And this is what we're going to do. Because we've asked for your name and phone number and check a box or all of them where you may be interested. And then we're going to actually give you a call. It's going to be crazy, I know. And we're actually going to expect you maybe to answer or go to voicemail and return the call. And all we're going to say is, hey, I heard you want more information. Here's more information. 
You're not going to get signed up for the team right then. It's not a blood oath that you have to take that where you're already in it till you die. It's not that thing. It's, I want information about this because it seems interesting to me. And we're going to give you information. And it's up to you to do something with that information. Let me ask this final few questions as we think through serving. We offer this What's Next class. We're going to do it again in January. And through What's Next, we go through the six parts of how God's created you and called you to serve. But we ask this question, because really, like, I don't know what I'm gifted at or what I'm good at, and sometimes it just takes you trying certain things to figure out what God's called you to. That's how God got me. I got roped into youth ministry 13 years ago, 14 years ago, and here I am. Careful, right? Careful what you sign up for. But think through these questions. What do I desire for? What are my desires Second question, what would my friends say that I'm really interested in or passionate about? And the third one's great. If I could do anything for the Lord, money not object, if I can do anything for the Lord, what would it be? Start asking those questions and see what God clarifies in your life and where he's maybe calling you, gifted you at, and giving you a passion for. He uses our passions that he creates for his glory to actually live out. So maybe start there. I'm going to invite you here in a minute, before we go to lunch today, to check a box. Just get more information. That's all we're going to do. But lastly, as we close, there's one response that we have to get right. Because none of this makes sense if we don't have this right. It's our response to the Lord. Again, we are called, we exist to know and to be known by God. Any separation from that, we will not have the life God's called us to live or enjoy. All this starts with a love for the Lord. So if you have not come to that place to where you trust him and put your faith in him, I'm going to encourage you to do that now. Why wait? What are we waiting for? All these excuses, like I'm afraid to lose this, I'm afraid to lose that. If you're afraid of losing anything more than the Lord, then I'm going to tell you, it's a shaky ground to be on and you don't really trust the Lord. So always I want to encourage us to transfer our head knowledge to our heart because so many of us have grown up in church and we know all these things, but we've missed Jesus. And that scares me. Why don't people serve in so many churches around the world? Is because so many churches think they're So many Christians think they're Christians and are not because they do all these things and know all this stuff, but they've missed Jesus. And Jesus says, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Here's what the Bible says, that we're all sinners and we've all fallen short of God's standard and are helplessly stuck in it. But God didn't leave us there. Jesus paying the price for our sin that we could not pay by living a perfect life that we cannot live, died for us, a ransom for us, so that whoever believes in him alone will not perish and has eternal life, has been saved from God's wrath, which we deserve, and be given God's righteousness by his grace, which we don't deserve. So that when you stand before God on that day of judgment, which we all will, he's going to ask you, on whose righteousness do you stand? 
And if you said, I've been a part of a Rotary Club, I'm telling you, it's going to be too late. Condemned is what that's called. Depart from me, I never knew you. But if you said, I don't know, but the guy on the cross, right, said that I can come. Jesus paid my price for my sin. And I know I'm forgiven because of him. And through him, I know I have a right relationship with you. That's the ground that we stand on, the firm ground that's in Christ Jesus. So what we're going to do, I'm going to invite our amazing worship band back up, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing another song together. But I'm going to invite you to respond to what God's doing right now. And so for the first time, maybe you realize, I know a lot of stuff about Jesus, but I miss Jesus, but now I see my need for Jesus, and I see the love that he had for me, that he proved, and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us, and I know that, and I need that, and I trust him. I don't understand everything, but somehow, someway, his blood on the cross counted for me. You pray that as we pray to the Lord. Say, I've seen my sin I'm asking for forgiveness, and I know that you give it because of Christ Jesus. Brothers, I want us to consider where God's calling you to use your giftedness and act upon it. Or maybe just God's showing you you've strayed in certain ways. Whatever God's playing on your heart, respond. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to have a prayer team on the side. We'd love to pray for you. Listen, you're not alone in this journey with Christ. You weren't meant to be. You have a local church here who desires and longs to walk alongside you well, to equip you to live the life that God's called you to live. Let's pray for you. Let's give you some guidance as you desire, but you're not in this alone, nor were you created to be. Respond to what God's doing in your life this morning. Let's pray together, and then... As the band sings, I'm going to encourage you to respond either by singing or maybe you should respond by continuing to pray and settle things with the Lord or pray with someone around you, pray with us, but respond in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. Lord, I pray that we never take your love for us for granted. How amazing and sacrificial that your love is for us. The amazing grace that you've given us new life when we deserve just the opposite. Father, we thank you for being such a good God and one that desires to have a relationship with us. And we thank you for each and every circumstance that you allow us to go through, that you use in our lives ultimately for our good to continue to conform us in the image of Christ Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.